episode 93 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. (laughs) Late night? (laughs) Late night. Yeah. We had our staff Christmas party last night, and let's just say we ended up scream singing everybody Backstreet's Back at karaoke. <laughs> so that was fun. It is the time of year for, for Christmas parties, especially like early December, I find. Sometimes late November. I know when we used to work at the coffee shop, we'd have ours late November because people would leave in December and like you couldn't have... I think the mall stayed open late a lot of Fridays and Saturdays in December, too, so. Yeah, and it was just, like, it was so busy. Mm -hmm. And you're right, we had extended hours in December, so, like, it's something that nobody, like, everyone was just, like, had their own, I just feel like there's such a rush when it comes to Christmas, Mm -hmm. like, that once December hits, everything is like, oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, like, you just have no time for everything, for anything. Yeah. So, like, stopping and, like, to have a Christmas party is hard. So, mm-hmm. you're, yeah. When we were in our, uh, when we worked at, our, at the coffee shop, we used to do our Christmas party the last, I think, Sunday of December. Yeah. Which was awesome. I almost wish we did that now. Like, this year, I'm going to miss my Christmas party because we already had plans for, like, we're going to um, the dinner theater. It's here. Oh, the oh, that's nice. Yeah. I've never been. I haven't either. But Stephanie got um got us tickets, so we're going to that with them. And last year, like it's December fifteenth, and last year I think it was something the same, like whatever that weekend is, two weekends before Christmas. But last year we had to leave for Labrador because <laughs> the wind was going to be so bad. If we didn't leave, then we'd never like we might not get across the ferry. So I I like not been to a Christmas party at my new office yet at all because it's too close to Christmas and there's always other shit well on the 15th we usually do something for like around that time we usually end up doing something for our birthday yeah yeah so it's just it's just bad timing like what who's gonna have a free weekend two weeks before Christmas is it two weeks before Christmas yeah and like so 15th was the party, but then the next Friday, the 22nd, that's Jeff's birthday. So like, just way too much on the go for Christmas. Well, that's it, right? Like, I feel like we have literally something on the go, like every single weekend. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I had my staff party last night. Then like, you know, we've got, I've got parent teacher interviews coming up. Then my We're going out. six-year-old. <laughs> We're going out next We're going Friday. out. <laughs> My six-year-old has her Christmas concert at school. Then she also has a piano recital mm-hmm. next weekend. Then, like, I've got birthday celebrations for us, birthday celebrations for me. Then there's a weekend where there's a birthday celebration for you. Mm-hmm. And, like, it just, there's just a shit ton. Yeah. And almost, um, no, I was just going to say, I, there's almost times where I'm like, I want to not do it. But it is kind of the fun of, like... The parties, like, bring the fun of Christmas, I find. So I like when they do start early, because you're like, the whole month is a write-off. This is just Christmas now. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do really enjoy Christmas Party, though. Like, I find that it's really, I don't know, I just really like getting together with the staff, and, like, mm. it's just a really nice bonding experience. Yeah. And, like, for my work, the Christmas party I always miss is basically, like, the big organization. So it's, like, everybody in Newfoundland and, well, mostly nearby. But, like, our small group does do their own thing. Like, we're going out to lunch one Thursday before Christmas because we're all in the office. And we're doing a little secret Santa. So, like, we still get the little things. But I find when it's on a weekend, it's hard to hard to make time for it because there's just so much other stuff yeah do you have a favorite christmas party from when we worked at the coffee shop do you remember one of my favorites oh god i was just thinking i don't really remember a lot of them but not because i was too drunk but also because i was too drunk and also i just have a terrible memory um but i remember my first one because i started in like maybe even october or something And then my cousin worked at the coffee shop and she was like, this is my cousin. She can work over Christmas. She lives in town. And then I was hired. (laughs) But my first Christmas party was at somebody's. Now I'm confusing too. I'm not sure if it was at somebody's house or if it was in um, a hotel like ballroom. Down on on Kenmount Road. Either way, I was underage, but I still drank. (laughs) But I think my favorite one was the one after we went to Toronto and we booked our flights and then we had to change our flights home because we had we would have missed the Christmas party. So we ended up, it was within 24 hours, so we ended up changing them. And then we got home, went to the Christmas party, and it was at the store downtown and it was awesome. I liked that one. The one that sticks out in my head the most is actually one from, like, when I was 14 years old. <laughs> because I, so, like, I, I was I 14? I might have been 15. Mm. And, like, 100% too young to be having alcohol. <laughs> However, everybody was drinking. And it was at my house. Mm. Like, the party was at my house. So everybody was drinking. My friend was there because she also worked there when I was 14, 15. She helped. She did cleaning tables and stuff. And we just felt so left out. Mm. So my parents were like super cool and gave us a little bit of wine in a cup and then like topped it up with a ton of um, like soda, Mm -hmm. like Sprite or 7-Up or something. So I had a little bit of white wine a lot. And it was like, it's my first, I feel like it was my first drink ever. Yeah. And I got toasted. <laughs> like, not, not, like, not sloppy or fall down, but I was super giggly. Yeah. And I think I might have gotten myself a second one without telling my parents. Yeah. <laughs> which made me even more giggly. But, like, I just, it was just a really nice feeling of, like, belonging and i know that alcohol doesn't do that like i know that's not an alcohol thing but it's like it's that's such an age where you're like you're too young for the kids you're too old no opposite you're too old for the kids you're too young for the adults like it's such a sticky age anyway i find so i get it yeah yeah and like it was one of the it was actually the only time my parents 
like let me knowingly have alcohol before I was legal. Yeah. Like after that, they were no longer cool. And if I'd be like, hey, can I have a sip of that? They'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, they were very strict. And like, if I'd be like, oh, hey, I'm going to go out to a friend's house when I was in high school, they'd be like, what are you doing over there? Like, you got to call us. Like, you got to, we want to talk to their parents. Like, yeah. they were very on us to make sure that I wasn't being bad. Doing, yeah, I wasn't quote unquote being bad like partying like drinking and stuff i still did it a little bit but it actually did thwart me a whole bunch yeah i was the same i didn't like i i did party a little bit but not nearly as much as other people in my class because i just couldn't because my like it was just too exhausting to come up with a lie for my parents so um you know I I just really enjoyed that party because I felt like they were treating me like somewhat responsibly. Yeah. Which was nice. Yeah. And like there's actually a picture still of and it's like this was when you had to print pictures off. <laughs> <laughs> and there is legit a picture of me and my friend sitting next to each other, wine glasses in hand and just giggling and it's just a like a formative memory <laughs> you know I yeah love yeah but yeah i love yeah. this time of year too um because like i think even yesterday i had a picture pop up from one of the staff parties of, on like facebook and i just love seeing them and being yeah. like oh yeah yeah and then you like even remember people that you're like oh yeah i forgot yeah. that you existed <laughs> yeah it's true in the nicest mm-hmm. way possible yeah. Uh, okay, so we're just going to get right into it now. Just a heads up, we are not a spoiler-free zone, and things might get saucy. Uh, a little bit in, in this case. Just a smidge. Uh, so this week is week two with A House of Sky and Breath by SJM. Uh, we are reading chapters 14 to 27 today. So last week we uh, encountered Bryce again, Hunt. They are living together, but they are not sleeping together. They made a pact that they weren't going to sleep together until the winter solstice because they wanted to get to know each other. Because they hate us as readers. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Ethan, the uh, Connors werewolf brother from the last book that hated Bryce in the last book and was a dick. Comes to her house because he's been beaten up, so they give him a place to stay, and then Therian gets them involved in the search for a young kid named Emil, who is a Thunderbird, uh, even though he passes as human, and we learn about a whole lot of stuff about him and his sister Sophie, and Sophie had conversations with Danica, and oh, it was a yes. lot. And it gets even more a lot in this section. Um, so we start with, in Hunt's point of view, he's training at the training center and he's talking to Isaiah. Um, and he sort of can't really stop thinking about the chance that they might get caught up in this rebel business because uh, Sophie 
uh, is was working for the human rebels Orpheon. Orpheon or Ophion? Uh, I think it's Ophion. I don't know if there's an R. But, yeah. Okay, Ophion. So, Sophie is working uh, for the human rebel group Ophion, uh, and therefore that group is looking for her brother. So, sort of by getting involved in the search for little Emil, <laughs> I say little, he's 13, um, by getting involved in that search, they are automatically risking being associated with rebels and being punished as such. And uh, we know a little bit about Hunt's backstory. He was involved in a rebellion and ended up becoming a slave. That's how he became a slave. So he is suffering some real bad PTSD. Hmm. <laughs> and he does not want to get involved in this rebellion. I was kind of surprised at how, like, anti- getting involved he was <clears throat> sorry i wasn't even out <clears throat> losing my voice um i kind of felt like it wasn't super in character for him and yeah. i don't know like I, i'm of two minds like i get and maybe that's the point like i get last book he did something rebellious but then was like no let's not do this at the last minute and then that kind of saved his ass but, and it was because he loved Bryce and blah, 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 blah. But I just, I guess maybe he's just being overprotective of Bryce now. And that's why he feels this way. It just, it felt like a left turn for me when he being in his head and him being like, this is a terrible idea. Yeah. And and to be fair, we are actually going to get into it shortly. But I agree with you because, like, I feel like Bryce more so than Hunt. Because, like, really, we don't know a lot about Hunt's mm-hmm. character. Like, like, we know a lot about his history. Yeah. But, like, so when he got involved in that rebellion, he really did it because his lover wanted yeah. to rebel. Shahar, right? So, like, we actually have no idea what kind of person he is. Like, is he the type of person to, like, stand up for the little guy and, like, fight for the, like, disenfranchised and marginalized people? Like, we really don't know that he is like that. Because, like, really, so in the last book, he, you know, he rebelled, became a slave. He was going to rebel again, but why was he going to rebel again? And then he chose not to for Bryce. And then at the end, when she was going through all that shit, he was, he couldn't be there until the very end when he sacrificed himself for her. But like that had nothing to do with anybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, he loved her, so of course he sacrificed himself for her, but, like, that doesn't have anything to do with him standing up for people that can't yeah, fight Yeah, like, for he themselves. wasn't there, like, like, opening, keeping the doors open to let the people of, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we don't know if he would have done yeah. that or not. Yeah, I guess. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he's that, maybe that's the kind of person I guess that's the hard thing about, like, was... There were point of view shifts in the last book, were there? Crescent City 1? Yeah. 
But I feel like we didn't get as much. Well, that's the thing about this writing, too, is like, I think we did get some of Hunt's point of view in the first book, but you didn't know he was rebelling until Bryce finds out. And you're like, wouldn't you have been thinking about this at some point or planning it? Like, how did we not (laughs) see this coming? Like, why was there no, like, hints on his part type thing? So it kind of makes me not trust being in people's heads, too. Because you're only getting some of what they're thinking. Like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I They're only getting what they yes. want to tell us. But I just feel like, I feel like you're right. I feel like we just don't know Hunt. And I, maybe that's my issue, is I don't understand him as a person or a character. And that's why I'm just like, I don't know how I feel about him, because I just don't know anything about him. Yeah. Like, I think if he were the type of person that would be like, like the way mm-hmm. Bryce is, like very like there are people there. We have to mm-hmm. help them. Like if we knew that he was like that, and maybe he is like that, but so far we haven't seen that aspect of it. And I think in this book we see a bit so of like, the opposite of that. So that's what kind of like threw me off, as I just assumed he had the yeah. same values and would make the same choices as Bryce. But this book, he's kind of like in his head thinking. All that matters is Bryce, basically. Like, he's not thinking about other people's lives and stuff. And I just found it odd. But I think it is because we just don't know him. Yeah. But we, we, so like, yeah, he is, he is really, he is very, I don't want to get involved in this like extremely he doesn't want to get involved he doesn't want bryce to get involved but it is completely a self-preservation in which you can completely understand based on what happened to him obviously anytime he's tried to rebel before has been a goddamn disaster like you can't blame him for it but i just didn't take it as a part of his personality that he would let people suffer when he's rebelled before i just kind of assumed that he would just be all for rebellion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so like, he's staring at his two new charges, I guess we'll say, like Baxian and Pollux, who came from um, Sandriel's Trurari, and apparently like, Hunt hates both of them and thinks they're both like sadistic assholes. Uh, we've seen from Pollux that that's accurate. Baxian is sort of giving us redeemingness. Yeah. Like the the things that you see about him, you're like, oh, maybe Hunt just didn't think that other people could be in shitty situations like he was. He just assumes that everyone's bad. Which which is like... Yeah, which is kind of like, why don't you just ask the question, dude? Like... And, and maybe it's just that Baxian's a better actor and acted like he really enjoyed what he was doing and acted like he really wanted to be there. But that also probably was mm-hmm. for a reason. Anyway, um, so we're going to get into that now. So he's staring at them training and he's annoyed that they're here. But Vic, who's a wraith that got caught last year um, with the rebellion and... Um, ended up getting her essence like put into a box and like dropped mm-hmm. at the bottom of the ocean. Um so Vic is at the bottom of the ocean and he's annoyed that these two are here and mm-hmm. that's where she is. 
Um, so he's staring at them, and Baxian comes to talk to him, and he's like, I don't understand why you like it here. Why do you even want to be here? Like, it's so boring. Nothing ever happens. And, and Hunt is saying, like, you don't understand. Like, I may have looked like I enjoyed the fighting and the battling and everything, but, like, I always wanted peace. I don't enjoy mm-hmm. fighting. And Baxian tells Hunt, I guess the insinuation that Hunt made was that, like, while Hunt did all this fighting, he never really liked it and wanted it, insinuating that Baxian did like mm-hmm. it and did want it. But Baxian is like, you didn't read between the lines when he worked, when we worked for Sandrio. Like, I wasn't a, he said, I wasn't a slave, but, like, I didn't have a choice in serving in her triari either. And, like, he said, and Hunt's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, like, you never asked why he, like, Hunt never asked him why he was there. Like, yeah. not once. And he doesn't really ask him now, either, I find. No! And it's like, he's trying to have a redeeming moment with you. Like, be open I, to I it. I also just want to know why. What is it? Okay. I agree with you. Like, why? I really want to know more of Baxian's story. I really hope we get it in book three, actually. I think we probably will. Uh, anyway, Hunt, like, tries to make Baxian, like, go on, go back to work, stop talking to me. Um, and Baxian sort of tells him that Celestina sent him a text message and told him that they're supposed to team up so that he can show Baxian around. And... They talk a little bit more, so, like, this means that Naomi is going to have to show Pollux around. And they're all like, oh, that's going to be bad news. Um, apparently, as well, Pollux is really pissed to be separated from the Hind. Um, so the Hind, we already know, like, we've heard the name mentioned already. But um, the Hind is a spy slash assassin for hire for the Assyri. Um, but I guess she was at Sandriel's castle a lot. And whenever she was, her and Pollux would, like, fuck all the time. Like, you could walk into an open room and they'd just be there fucking. And on top of that, like, he was like, I didn't think the po- I didn't think Pollux, like, had feelings for anybody. And he was like, well, he doesn't really have feelings as much as he doesn't like being separated from his possessions. So, like, we're really getting a little bit more about who Pollux yeah. is as well. It's like, he's an alpha asshole yeah. dick. <laughs> um, but because Baxine brought up the hind, Hunt starts to pry a little bit more because that's, they've been discussing the hind in relation to Sophie and Emil and everything like that. So he's like, maybe I can get a little bit more information. So like, even though he doesn't want to rebel, he's naturally fishing yeah. for information. So the hind is actually working for Ephraim now who is the other, it's the archangel that was put in place to replace um, Sandriel. Uh, And Hunt figures she can't be out chasing after Emil because she has duties for Ephraim, that she can't just be like, okay, peace (laughs) out, bye. Um, And Baxian then asks about Bryce, and it's sort of like, you guys together, like, how's it going, sort of a thing. Like, you can so tell. It's actually, like, a little bit heartbreaking. Like, 
but you can tell that Vaxine is actually like trying to make connections. Well, do you remember your first read of this book? There's a really big bomb dropped about Vaxine. Yeah. I just feel like he just wants to get closer to Bryce in a like platonic way. Yeah. And it, it does break my heart. Yeah. And it's like, he's just like, he's reaching mm-hmm. so much. And he, he just, just wants like, a friend. Let him have a friend. Yeah. And Hunt is like, keeps just giving him evil eyes. Like, get away from me. Yeah, this this part but, annoys me about Hunt. I'm like, give him a chance. Why are people supposed to give you a chance yeah. and not anybody else that was in a similar position? Yeah. yeah. But um, he does tell Hunt that he likes Bryce. He likes that she has balls and and so like Baxian genuinely doesn't seem bad like he's already told Bryce like he's glad that she killed Micah like good job Mm -hmm. you killed Micah like we've just already seen he hasn't done anything mean so far this entire book so like I don't know I just give him a chance and then Hunt yeah give him a chance but then Hunt just tells him fine we'll work together but rule number one don't ever talk to me unless I talk to you first. And it's just like, stop being yeah. a dick. Sin. So, it is it is a sin. Anyway. So. um, We skip to Therian's point of view. He goes to Bryce's apartment and sort of is like asking Ethan about Danica. And is like, maybe there are things that Ethan knows about Danica that maybe Bryce doesn't because of the whole werewolf thing. Um, and he does manage to convince Ethan to spill, and he was like, this might be a minor detail, but when Danica was alive, apparently she told him that she was doing a paper for her history degree, and she found something that could get her in trouble. And when he asked about it later on, she would always change the subject. Like, he was like, what'd you get on your paper after? And she just would be like, oh, Hmm. change the subject. And he thought that was really weird because she, when she, like, caught the scent of something, she was, like, relentless and, like, tenacious. So, like, she wouldn't just give up if she found something. So, he, she obviously knew more about whatever this was than she wanted to tell. But he was like, sorry, that's all I know. And, like... I guess, obviously, it's different for us because we're, like, reading about Mm -hmm. it. But it's like, dude, this is obviously important. This is not nothing. (laughs) Like, obviously, whatever she found out, you know, has something to do with all this. But, again, it's because we're reading it. Yeah, They wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't Like, they're probably having some more conversations (laughs) that just aren't brought up because it's like, nah, that's not important. Yeah. But nonetheless, like, that's the end of the conversation. He's like, that's really all I got. And so then they just sit and eat pizza. Uh, so then we go to Rune's point of view. So he um, meets Bryce in front of the archives. And they're going to go back to her place. And on the walk, she tells him about Danica being a bloodhound and everything like that. Uh, and they talk a little bit more. And Rune is trying to tell Bryce not to get involved with the whole Emil thing. That because of her power and her, like, the power, her, just her fey power that she got from the drop, plus her starborn power. Plus the Asteria. The Asteria like, were literally at the last book called her and were like, stay in line. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, like, 
everything that mm. she does now will be politicized in a way that she could sort of avoid last spring yeah. because she was flying under the radar. And, like, now, literally everything she does, like, she could be followed and watched a lot more closely. And, like, everything she does can be discovered and found out a lot easier now because she is, like, mm-hmm. a, a political figure. So, like, anything that she does could be seen as an act of war rebellion. Like, even if she does go looking for a meal because he's a 13-year-old boy and she just wants to do the right thing. Like, not even getting involved in any rebellion or anything like that. Like, just like, this mm-hmm. is a child, I want to help that child. Even with that, that could be seen as an act of rebellion by the Asiri. Just because of the connection Emil has to the rebellion. So, like, he's essentially yeah. warning her, like, just don't get involved. Um, so they show up to the apartment, and it's actually hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, like, they walk in... And Bryce just freezes and is like, Rune can like scent her fear. I like he's like, she part. smells afraid. <laughs> I do too. It's so funny. Um, So Ethan is in there and Therian is there, obviously. And <laughs> Ethan is petting a white cat with stunning blue eyes. And he's like, Bryce, you didn't tell me you had a cat. This cat is so sweet and nice. And is like petting it and it's on his lap. Uh, except it's not a cat. It's one of the princes of hell, the <laughs> prince of the chasm, Adis. <laughs> and Bryce is like, that's not a cat. <laughs> oh, God. So then Hunt walks in behind them, and he walks in as Adis mm. transforms into, like, a human. And he's, like, ready to step in front of Bryce and defend her. But, like, everybody is stunned when Bryce addresses Adis by name. Because Bryce has spoken to Adis before on a couple of occasions in the last book. But I don't think anybody... One time Hunt was there when she actually summoned him. But that's, like, the only time anybody knew she was up to anything. Right. So, um, so, like, everybody, so everybody else is, like, stunned that she's, like, yeah. Hey, Adis. And then he asks Bryce, like, why can't she use her powers yet? And that he knows the first Starborn, he knew, sorry, not knows. He knew the first Starborn Queen, Thea, and he recognizes her light coming from Bryce. So he assumes that Bryce will have other similar powers to Thea. Um,. And he also calls out Rune's light, because Rune also has starborn powers, but they are minuscule in comparison. Um, And he says they belong to Peleus. Um, And he made it clear that he didn't like Peleus and thought Peleus was a big old D-bag. And actually said that he was Thea's general and then forcibly married Helena who was Thea's oldest daughter, after Thea was killed by him first. So he killed Thea and then forcibly Mm -hmm. married his daughter, her daughter. So that sounds about right that he's a big old D-bag. But I'm pretty sure in the history of this world, they've altered the story to make it seem like Peleus was like a hero. 
So this is like an alternate history that everyone is like just learning for the first time. So he goes into more detail um, and he like sees that um, Rune has the star sword. And he says that that sword technically belongs to Thea's female heir, but Peleus stole it from her. Um, and he also says that Thea's other daughter got away by using the sword and the horn. And then Peleus set himself up as prince and then passed the items to his children that he sired through rape, which is makes him yeah. even better of a character. But again, like everyone knew of Peleus as being the first starborn mm-hmm. prince but and yeah, everyone that's, thought that's he was the a history hero. Books. Not yeah, but Adis is is sort of telling them the real versions of what I don't really understand why like he's telling them this now. No. I don't I don't really We need to get it at some point, I guess, like I don't know. Yeah. Um so Adis then tells, oh, he tells, actually, he now tells them that he's telling them this now. Sorry. Uh, because he arrived too late to help Thea, and he doesn't want history to repeat itself. Um, and he, he then asks what Bryce is doing to help end this endless war. And she's asking, like, are you talking about the human rebellion? And he's like, yeah, kind of. He says it's like, it's a different mm-hmm. war, but it's the same war. So he's like, he just, he's, and I don't, I, it just doesn't feel grand yeah, enough, if that makes sense. Like, like this human rebellion, it just feels like, feels like small yeah. potatoes. Like, it's just a rebellion on one continent or one country. So like, I don't. And, like, it hasn't been going, like, I don't know how long it's been going on, but, like, I don't think it's been going on since the induction of the entire world. Like, I thought it only started, like, you know, 50 years ago or something like that. I guess there's been a few different rebellions. Because the rebellion, I guess, is just against um, the Asteri, really. But, yeah, I don't know. So you think that it's more like we're not talking about like it's not that the humans are fighting for rights it's more that they're rebelling against the Asteri and that that's the aspect but that's been happening for years and years and I years. think it's People the same fighting thing against the Asteri because the Asteri are the like reason I guess that they don't have rights like they're the ones that put this in place aren't they yeah but I didn't think the humans have been the ones rebelling the I whole time. I thought that they were. I thought that, like, other people just helped them along the way. Like, that's why oh, Hunt maybe. got into it. But I, I don't know, really. I think, like, Ophion is, like, a new, different group. But I think, like, there has been, there have been different rebellion groups throughout. Okay. All right. Um, so Ethan tells Adis that obviously hell is their enemy but when asked like anytime he talks i'm like told you that why are you opening your mouth (laughs) yes yeah yeah why are you even here like go away little boy um anyway so there he's like 
who told you that hell is the enemy? And they're like, <gasps> the Asteri. So it's like, oh, yeah. maybe they're just not being truthful with you. Like, come on. Um, and then Adis continues and says, like, obviously the Asteri came and forced scholars to record their version of history. And Jessiba's books that were down in the basement that mm. Lahaba used to guard, um, those are all that remain of what the world was truly like before the Assyri. So, like, I feel like yeah. they all need to get their hands on those books. Even though Jessiba has moved them, I would love in the next book for more information that on it. to happen. Nice. Yeah. Um, he also asks, like, what was here before? the Asteri. And like, where did the Asteri come from? Where did the shifters and angels and fae come from? And they're all sort of like, uh, don't know. It like, it, no one knows the answer. But then he tells them that the war is reaching its peak and Bryce's powers aren't ready yet. And like, <laughs> she needs to practice. And he also says that Hell's armies are ready for her to command, they're at her disposal, and all they need is for her to wield the horn to control them. Interesting. And yeah! So like, yeah, she's like, like what, can really... be the queen of hell? That's cool if she was. If she ended up the queen of hell, cool. think about how cool that would be. Um, But he also tells her like, you know, if you feel the need, go ahead and offer your services to the human rebels, but like, uh, but she's like, I don't know any human rebels. <laughs> and then he's like, it's so there's silly. one right behind you. <laughs> and then she, yeah, I know, but I secretly love it. And then she turns around and Cormac, her fiance, is the asshole is standing in the doorway. And Ada says, hello, Agent Silverbow. And then like just disappears. <laughs> Which is interesting, because we heard of him in the prologue. Right, so he is the one that had the lovely relationship with Sophie. They were, like, romantic partners. Mm -hmm. So, seems like Cormac also has his secrets, and isn't completely who he says he is. Yes, which is interesting. Um, so Cormac, like, comes in, like, guns blazing, and he's asking, like, everybody, like, what do you know about Sophie? <laughs> Which is so like, it's sad. It breaks my heart. I did like I, I don't mean to laugh at it. It's just the way you said it was funny. But it, this scene does like break my heart. Yeah. So they all like they're all like, dude, if you want to talk, like talk, but like stop, like settle down. Yeah. So they all settle in and talk about Sophie, and Cormac tells them his story. Um, he helped rescue Emil, which we we read about in the prologue. Mm -hmm. Um and he promised Sophie that he would look out for him. Um and also talks about how Pippa is absolutely fanatical. Like would come across like pop like groups of like panther shifters or like lion shifters and use the children as bait to lure the parents and the rest of the pride out and then just kill everybody for sport like she is like fanatical she's like they all deserve to die yeah she really hates all veneer veneer even the yeah. ones that are like 
on her side she doesn't have the time of day for and you're like yeah so she i guess um when emil displayed his power she was like super eager to get him on the battlefield and again he's 13 so obviously he ran and cormac tried to follow him but obviously lost him somewhere and he saw like he he did show up at the marsh and saw Therian there and then he saw Therian coming in at a in and out of Bryce's apartment a bunch so he actually thought that Emil might even be in there or that they might know where Emil is mm-hmm. and they're all a bit confused because they're like aren't you working for the rebellion and he is he but he doesn't want Emil in Ophian's hands um, because she knows that they'll just turn him into a weapon. Yeah. So this is more of like a personal mission for him to find Emil and and just make give him a safe place. Because mm-hmm. that's all Sophie was fighting for the entire everything she was doing was basically she just wanted him to be safe. Yeah. And obviously, like, the rest of the crew, they don't trust Cormac. And they don't 100% agree with what he's saying. And, like, they sort of wonder, like, maybe he's working for the Asteri. And, like, maybe they're trying, he's trying to, like, catch them in, like, rebel work so that he can turn them over. Like, they wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. But he's like, trust me, I'm not. <laughs> um, So... Therian is, I guess, swayed by his whatever he says. And he does tell him everything that he knows. Like, that, you know, as far as he knows, Danica sent a secret meeting place. And then he tells Cormac that he couldn't find Sophie's body. And this gives Cormac hope that she might still be alive. Which is sad. It is very sad. Well, I mean, we don't know. Maybe she is alive. Well, that's true, yes. But it sucks that he's, like, he's already gone through the grieving process of her being dead, and now it's like, maybe she isn't. Um, So he asks about Danica, and he tells everyone that the whole reason that he even agreed to marry Bryce... (laughs) is that is because of Danica's connection to Sophie. He wanted to get close to Bryce to see if she knows mm-hmm. anything. And he also wanted a way to get access to Rune. And this was the easiest way, by agreeing to marry Bryce. Um, and he sort of, like, he adds in that he really wants, he wants Rune for his ability to mind speak. So what Rune and Bryce do is they, like, talk into each other's heads. That's apparently not normal. Yeah. So, and he, he does sort of do a little bit of a D-bag move, and he's like, hmm, does your father know about this ability? I'd hate for him to find out, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a threat. But Cormac is like, I find he, he's like desperate at this point. Like, he's just going to do anything he can Yeah. to do what he needs to do. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Um. Anyway. So, like, Hunt is sort of, like, they're all talking about these, about Sophie and Danica and Emil and blah. 
And, and Hunt is just like, <laughs> and blah. Sorry. Hunt is, Hunt is just like, boss, let's not get involved. Mm. Like, like he's like, I know what'll happen if we lose. It sucks. Yeah. Let's not. But like, and to be fair, nobody is really like super keen on getting involved. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is sort of on the fence. But Bryce wants to help Emil and she wants to learn more about Danica. Yeah. And this is the part where at the beginning, remember I said that like, um, I said that uh, it was an interesting, um, God, at the beginning when we were talking about uh, Hunt, like yeah. not, not wanting to get involved for like self-preservation mm-hmm. reasons. Cormac actually brings this up. Um, like, Cormac is really surprised that they don't want to help. And, like, he asks them, he's like, like, don't you guys care that, like, humans are suffering and dying? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, honestly, true story, bro. Like, yeah, that fucking yeah. sucks. So, right. So, um... Rune is saying, like, he's not going to get involved. He doesn't want to risk his friends or his family. Um, And Cormac is like, you are not going to risk your friends and family? Like, what about the countless friends and family in Pandera who are being tortured, enslaved, and murdered? And he was just sort of like, everybody here wants to put your own lives above and ahead of the lives of all those people Mm -hmm. suffering. And he said that he saw them, like, go to Asphodel Metals last spring to help the humans. So he thought that they would, like, be compassionate and, like, want to help. Yeah. And they're, he just says, like, you guys are being, like, self-serving. Like, you're you're being too, yeah, you're, he just says, like, you guys are, are being a bit selfish, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I... I agree, but at the same time, if someone came to me and asked me to help fight a rebellion, I don't know what I'd say. Like, maybe I would <laughs> yes, be self-serving, I too. I know, and that's the issue with a lot of books, is, like, we're sitting here on our high horses, like, I can't believe they're not helping yeah. the rebellion. Obviously, that's the right <laughs> thing to do, but, like, I don't know fully what I would do. Like, obviously, you don't want to put yourself at risk, but I guess reading is different in that, like... <laughs> you're you're expecting them to be the good guys you're expecting them to fight for what's right so it's a bit different than looking at yourself and being like if i was in a war situation what would i do like you're expecting that you would do the right thing but yes it's the kind of interesting thing about in um a court of thorns and roses the main character there pharaoh would do anything for her family above anybody and anything else and i i kind of liked yeah. that as her character trait because she wasn't inherently good but you knew her motivation and i feel like maybe that's my issue with hunt is i don't really other than maybe his motivation is just keeping bryce safe and that just doesn't seem big enough and not even that but like if she wants to fight a rebellion him being like we shouldn't because i want to keep her safe is like kind of diminishing of her as a person too yeah. And maybe that's what I don't like. Yeah. 
We'll figure it out one of these days why I'm not 100% sold on him. <laughs> uh, but do you know what, though? I'm not 100%. I, I, I liked him in the last mm-hmm. book. But this book so far, I, I am not, I'm not sold on him. And I sort of see why people have a little bit of a problem with them together. Because, yeah. like, we're not sold on him yeah, yet. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's, we're not immediately in love mm-hmm. with him. Now, some people are, I'm sure. Yeah. But, like, for the, I think a lot of people, like, we don't understand him yet. We don't, um, and, like, it's not even that we don't understand him, but we don't really appreciate like, I don't know. With, okay, so with Reese in Akatar, like, he did some terrible things. Mm-hmm. But when we heard his story, you you understood why he did the terrible things. Yeah. Right? Like, you might not appreciate it, but you could sort of get where he came from. And, like, he, he, he had vulnerable moments. Yeah. Right? And he opened up. I don't know if we've gotten that yet. But we from we Park. haven't really got his story yet. Like, there's been hints and stuff, and, like, we know he rebelled at one point. But, like, at one point, I think, later this week, and I don't think I took a note of it, which is why I'm going to say it, but Bryce says that he was a child, like, thousands of years ago, and he's, like, only 200. And you're like, so what happened in those 200 years since he was a child? Like, I know some of it but we don't know his full story we don't know anything about his father other than like a hint of the first book they talk about him so yeah, yeah we we just don't really know enough about him i think which is weird because yeah. we've had two full books and you feel like you should know him better but you just don't yeah um anyway so yeah so Bryce, like, is the only one here who's, like, agreeing to help. She's like, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. But she makes a deal with Cormac. So, like, she says, I will help you find a meal, and maybe Sophie, if she's alive, and figure out what secret she was hiding. Like, apparently, like, Sophie uncovered a secret that was, like, war-ending. Like, it was a huge secret. But in return, he will end their engagement when... He is ready to leave Valbera. And he will also teach her about her starborn powers, like Adis asked her to. Because apparently uh, Cormac was obsessed with starborn powers when he was a kid and did a shit ton of research. So, like, he's like an expert on it. He knows all yeah. about them. Do we ever see this? Um, Like, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read it, and I, I'm not, like, I didn't, I haven't finished the book yet. Like, yeah. I am reading as we are podcasting, so, like, I haven't read what happens next week yet. So, like, I really don't remember, but I I don't remember us getting, like, a training montage of her learning about her powers. It kind of starts in my part of this week, but not really. So I don't, I don't really remember either, because I also haven't read past this week. Um, but there's a bit of knowledge on my side of this week. And I, I think they do eventually train together. I just don't really remember it at this moment. Yeah. Um, so Cormac agrees to all of that. Like, okay, fine. But they also say like, you know, if we're going to be engaged, we need to actually like go out and look engaged and like do things that engaged people do. <laughs> like, you know, I will break it off when I'm ready to go. But like, 
as long as I'm here, then we have to, like, act engaged. And then comes one of my favorite lines so far in the book. I can't say of the whole book, because, again, I haven't read that far into it yet. But, um, so Cormac is, like, getting ready to leave. And he says, beyond Sophie, beyond Emil, this world could be so much more. This world could be free. I don't understand why you wouldn't want that. Mm -hmm. And Hunt says, hard to enjoy being free if you're dead. And then Cormac responds with, I can think of no better reason to yield my life. And I just love that so much because it's like Cormac is like putting them in their place. Like, yeah, you may die, but it's for the freedom of the entire world. Why would you not fight for that? And, like, I really hope that I would step up and and I would, and because that, like, it just, it chokes me up, like, that line. Like, it really gets to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, I, I think the issue for Hunt is he knows what happens when you don't die. And that's why he's afraid of rebelling again. Which I understand. Um, but... I, I just love the turn of Cormac's character of like, he came and he was like this big jerk and he was like, we're getting married, blah, 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 blah. And he's now he's like, you know, he's super in love with Sophie. He doesn't want to marry Bryce. Like this isn't, he's just playing it so that he can get close to people. Yeah. And he actually is one of the, Good guys. Good guys, yes. But, like, he has the best intentions in his heart of most of the people that we've met so far in this book. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? He reminds... He actually does remind me of Reese a bit. Because he's got the swirling shadows. Mm-hmm. Right? The, so, like, he's got the... Sort of the way, like, Reese has, like, the night powers. Like, he's got mm-hmm. these, like, shadowy powers. And he can, like... He can, like, hide himself in the dark and, like, just emerge yeah. from it. Which is sort of Reese. Sort of Reese. Um... And sort of Reesey. And also, like, he acts like an asshole in the public eye, but then he is, like, the most noble inside. You know what I mean? And I just love that. Yeah. Anyway. So he leaves, and, like, they're all (laughs) like, what the fuck just happened? Because they had, like, Adis as a cat, and, like, Ethan was petting him. And then, like, they got this huge bombshell drop that Cormac wasn't actually an asshole. And, like, they're all, all of them are still actually really suspicious of him. And they're like, is he actually, like, working for the rebellion? Like, they're still not sure whether he's, you know, whether he's Mm -hmm. good or bad. Or whether he's going to betray them. Meanwhile, Bryce is like, well, that was my lunch break. I have to go back to work now. Um... And they're all like, what? You're going back to work? What the fuck? And she's like, I have a job to do. So, like, they're all like, okay. So, like, she compartmentalizes very well. Um, So they're all like, no one say shit to anybody about anything. And they will they said, we'll meet up again tomorrow and, and talk about whether yeah. they're going to help Cormac or not. Um, Hunt and Bryce, like, leave to go walk back to work. And ta- they're, like, talking everything out. Like, Hunt is is freaking out, and Bryce sees that. 
because he has seen shit. Like, he has seen battlefields, and it is, like, it is life-altering. And, like, it makes you think of things in a way that you've never thought of before. So, like, he's freaking out. But he also sees that, like, Bryce is freaked out, too. Like, she's scared. But she really wants to find the intel that Sophie had. But, again, for a completely self-serving reason... She thinks that since the Asiri know something classified about them, a.k.a. that they killed two archangels, like, that's not public mm-hmm. knowledge. No one knows that. So she thinks that if they had intel on them, then it was sort of even the playing field. They couldn't then be like, mm-hmm. oh, you guys lay low. Because if they had info on them, she could be like, I know something about yeah. you, so let me live my life. And so they don't have this constant threat hanging over their heads. And she also wants to help find Emil because he is a, a child and she doesn't think he should, like, she's like, he's definitely out there scared and, like, you know, it's not cool. Um, And she also says that, like, the idea that they could, like, win a war and get rid of the class system imposed by the Asiri is, like, yeah. is tempting for her. Even though she's a princess. So, like, you know. She can say all the fuck she wants about class systems, but she's on the right side of it as of this point. Um, But, like, Hunt is like, I don't want to do any of this if neither, if we're not going to survive. So, because he sort of shares, like, you know, that was sort of him sharing his feelings that, like, you know, she's important and he, he wants to live he wants to continue to be by her side for a really long time. Like a sort of like, you're important to me. So like, because mm-hmm. he dropped that like sort of feelings bomb, um, <laughs> Dry- Bryce then decides to share back and say that she doesn't want to wait until the winter solstice to have sex with him. So <laughs> he's like, you don't have to tell me twice. So they're like chatting in like an alleyway and he literally just like pushes her up against the wall and starts like making out with her hardcore and like grinding into her. Yeah. And it was, yeah. Like it was hot. (laughs) It was hot. But he pulls away and he's like almost ready to like fuck her in the alleyway. But then he's like, and like initially I think he was getting a bit turned on over the fact that they were in the alleyway. He's like, oh shit, anyone could see us. And like, (laughs) but then he's like, oh shit anyone could see us because we're in an alleyway and you're supposed to be engaged to someone else and they just made a deal to like actually (laughs) like act engaged in public um so it it would if they started having sex in alley it would sort of like break that that appearance that they were engaged happily yes (laughs) so he does he stops you know and Hunt sort of asks, like, are you sure about this, like, breaking breaking the agreement? Um, and she's like, yes, I'm sure. But then she, it was a nice consent conversation here because then she asks, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to break the agreement? Even though it was her idea, like, she's still checking with him to make sure, like, he's okay with it. Yeah. Um, so that's nice because consent does go both ways. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just the man asking the woman or, you know, who, whatever your man asking a man or a woman asking a woman. It doesn't matter. 
it's not solely about one person's feelings. It it's yeah. both it's both parties. Um. Anyway, so they agree to finish what they started later. So we go back to Ethan at the apartment. Him and Therian are talking, and like Ethan is just mind boggled that like all of this rebel spy stuff is even happening. Yeah. Like, it's which just, just why proves, are you here? <laughs> yeah, which just proves that like maybe you shouldn't be here. <laughs> maybe you need to leave. Um, but Therian then shares with him that Hunt, like, because Ethan doesn't know this stuff. He doesn't know anything. I know. (laughs) And so Therian is like, you, you don't know that Hunt killed Sandriel with his bare hands? (laughs) And like, again, she was an archangel. So like, that's, that's a big deal. The fact that a simple angel could Mm -hmm. kill an archangel. Like, that's a big deal. And then he's like, you also didn't know that, that Bryce killed Micah for bragging about killing Danica in her pack? And again, Bryce was pre-drop at this point. She had not yet made the drop. So, like, Ethan now feels like shit. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that Bryce defended Danica and his brother, and he was a complete dick to her for two years. Yes. Rightfully so. You should feel like a dick. Yeah. And, like, Therian's like, yeah, so, like, obviously the Asteri know they killed those archangels and is threatening to kill them if they don't lie low. <laughs> and and <laughs> Therian is like, must be fate that brought you here at this moment in this time. Essentially saying, like, you know, maybe you don't have a place here yet, but you will. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe. And it's just like, no, you don't. Go home. Well... I know he can't go home, but yeah, yeah, but he also gets I know a purpose. Um anyway. So obviously Therian's like, you need time to process this. <laughs> and he leaves. And then Ethan is a six year old child. Yes. And grabs Danica's sword from Bryce's room and starts slicing and dicing and like jumping all over the house to practice slash he's being a six-year-old and like running around the house with a sword yeah and then he jumps up on the coffee table because that's what a normal person would do and then i actually really find this funny though so he jumps up on the coffee table at the exact moment that bryce walks back into the room yeah uh she was like i forgot my work id like (laughs) And at that moment, I guess the weight, like Ethan's weight, breaks the table and he falls, which is quite funny. I would be so mad. I get that it's a plot device and they need it to happen, but I would be so mad if you broke my coffee table. Yeah, be like, you're buying me a new one, buddy. Yeah. Um. So, like, initially she's like, great, but then they see all these papers and stuff on the floor and they're like, where the fuck did that come from? Um, and it's actually a secret drawer from the coffee table that had all of Danica's old college papers in it. Hmm. And, like, all the furniture in the apartment actually was Danica. It was all Danica stuff. Like, the apartment mm-hmm. came pre-furnished when Bryce moved in. So, like, hmm. Wonder what all those papers are for. Remember that time Ethan said that she was making, she was writing a history paper and then she stopped talking about it? Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Yes. 
So back to Rune's point of view. So he is back at his place and his two besties, Declan and Flynn, they can like see what's up. Like they can see that he's thinking about shit. So he tells them everything. So remember when Bryce was like, don't say shit to anyone and we'll come back tomorrow. Hmm. Rune doesn't listen and literally tells them everything. But he trusts them. So that makes all the difference. Um, so obviously, like Declan and Flynn, both of them are like, we're on board, whatever you choose to do. Um, they know that the war is bad and they want to help. So before, like earlier in the apartment, before Cormac left, he asks Rune to meet him like in a couple hours at this bar. They need to mm. talk. Which like, why are they meeting in a public place? I There's don't. so many points in this book where I'm like, why are, why is, why are people bearing all their secrets to this giant group of people? And why are they doing it in public? And like, what the fuck is going on? <sighs> That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they decide, like, he, he decides, because initially he was like, should I go meet him? Should I not go meet him? And then I guess with Declan and Flynn's support, he's like, fine, I'll go hear what he has to say. Back to Bryce and Ethan. They are going through the papers they found in the drawer, and apparently they are academic journals and articles about the Asteri, and how maybe they actually aren't holy stars. Because no one has ever seen their power before. Interesting. Yes. There's a lot going on. There is so much going on. Then they find a folder with Dusk's truth written on it. Which is the same, that was one of the emails. Like in the, one of the emails that Therian found. They talked about Dusk's truth. But inside there's just a blank piece of paper. So this is when I would be like, UV lighting and like <laughs> or like it's a spell or something like they were like oh it's just a blank piece of paper it's obviously not just a blank fucking piece of paper maybe it is I don't know um so back again to Rune's we're just bopping all over the place back to Rune's <laughs> point of view so Rune actually meets Cormac at the bar and Cormac explains what he needs Rune to do they, so apparently the rebels have this contact named Agent Daybright, and they have direct access to the Asteri, and they've been feeding information to Sophie with a crystal. Like, sort of like, it's almost like, um, like a walkie-talkie, but it's a crystal. Mm -hmm. Um... But, like, with everything that's happened, with the hind on their tail and Sophie getting, like, captured and potentially killed, um, they think that, like, their codes are broken. Like, mm -hmm. they've been talking in code and they think it's broken and somebody has intercepted their messages. So, Cormac wants Rune to mind speak with Agent Daybright to get the information, to get the intel. Because, obviously, no one can... You can't break a mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you can, but, like, they can't intercept those types of messages. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to listen in. Yeah. When someone's talking. Hopefully. I don't know. What other powers exist? We don't know anything. Yeah. Um. So, like, Rune is still annoyed that Cormac threatened to tell his dad. 
even though Cormac has said, like, he's saying now, yes, he did sort of, like, toss in a little bit of a threat back at Bryce's apartment. But, like, he has since said, like, dude, I'm not going to tell your dad. Like, Mm -hmm. he said that. But Rune doesn't trust him and doesn't really believe him. But, like, Cormac is like, dude, honestly, the death camps are awful. Mm-hmm. Like, they are so, the conditions are absolutely terrible. And, like, he was like, if you just met somebody that lived through it, you would never be the same. He was yeah. like, like, it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, Cormac is literally the only voice voice of reason in this entire thing right now. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he even says to Rune, like, if you do this, you will save thousands of lives. But, like, also, if the Asiri find out what they're doing, they'll end up in the jails beneath the Asiri's palace. And apparently there are no cameras there to witness, like, the torture and atrocities. But, again, mm-hmm. that's just your own life. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he gives Rune Sophie's crystal. And then they talk and Rune asks, like, seems like you and Sophie were close. And Cormac is like, I love her. And he's like, if she is alive, I want to find a way to spend the rest of my life with her. And I guess this confession causes Rune to, like, to sort of give him a piece of information that they think that the safe meeting spot is in the bone quarter. But at the same time, do they? They keep talking about it, but, like, I, I don't, they are all, they're all saying, like, oh, it can't be the bone quarter, because it's too obvious and too dangerous to send a 13-year-old mm-hmm. kid there, so it's obviously not the bone quarter. And yet they're like, is it the bone quarter? Yeah. it. That's the whole book. <laughs> anyway, so, like, it's just... A bit annoying that they're all like, hmm, it can't be the bone quarter, but it must be the bone quarter, but it can't be the bone quarter. Yeah. So, like, he tells him, oh, it's the bone quarter. So then, uh, Cormac tells Rune that the info he needs from Agent Daybright is about mech suits that we've heard about before that are originally made for humans to help fight against Veneer. But these mech suits are made for Veneer. So it'll, like, amplify their powers and, like, destroy so many lives. So Rune agrees to help. So back to Therian's point of view. Uh, I guess Therian asked Ethan to help sniff out Emil when the time comes. He wants to use Ethan's, like, werewolfy smell. Noses. Yes. Um, And he's, like, in his He's not in his own room. He's in like a, I don't know. It's a dry dock sort of under the water. I don't know. I think of everything under the water as being like these big plastic bubbles. And you're just inside the bubble. Yeah, I like that. Um, So he's like working on his wave runner. He's like fixing it up because it's um like it got a lot of seaweed in it. And like he needs to fix it up for a mission tomorrow. Mm. And the River Queen's daughter comes sniffing around. And she sort of wants, like, to spend time together, quote-unquote. In other words, she wants to have sex. Mm -hmm. And, like, he's like, I don't understand why she's coming to me now. Like, we haven't had sex in years. 
And she is interrogating him about where he is and who he saw in the city. Like, she's like, where have you been? He's like, I was in the city. And she's like, who were you with? Who did you see? And he's, like, trying to not avoid her because he can't. But he's trying to give her the least amount of information he can without being rude. Because if he's rude to her or offends her in any way, he can be punished by the River Queen. So he's trying to be respectful, but at the same time, he's trying to be like, bitch, get out of my face. So he does say, he does tell her who he met that day. And like, he knew as soon as he mentioned Bryce's name... That she would get suspicious and be like, oh, you're meeting up with a girl. Like, yeah, she's super jealous. Yeah, but then he's like, he's like, oh, did you know that her and Hunter together now? Like, it's a nice happy ending. And that, like, relaxes her. She's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so they are, like, I think we had this last week. We were questioning whether they were still engaged mm-hmm. or not. They are. Like, they are engaged, but he has not been engaging her for years yeah um so like again like i said he does his best to dismiss to dismiss her politely saying like oh sorry like i have an early start in the morning and like can't have sex with you um and like again he can't he can't dismiss her and be rude to her without being punished by the river queen um and like he doesn't really know how much time he'll have left before they like push for the wedding like they've been okay to coast on them just being engaged for a while but like eventually they're gonna get married and then they're gonna push him to have children and then he'll be forced to like stay underwater forever and he says like it feels like a cage to him Mm -hmm. cage of his own making because he couldn't keep his dick in his pants yeah i but i get he's i don't know i don't know how i feel about him anymore like, I, f- I feel bad for him because he's been forced into this engagement slash mm, he'll be forced into marriage and forced to have kids and then forced to live a life he doesn't want to underwater. Yeah. However, keep your dick in your pants. Yeah. Someone say this was like reverse Little Mermaid. I think I saw that theory before. Oh, that's a cute idea. Yes. Yeah, I saw it. I definitely saw the theory somewhere. Like, it's not mine. And I didn't really know the book well enough to know it but like I can kind of see it now that we're like talking about like he doesn't want to be underwater it's like literally (laughs) Ariel um that is yeah it's Ariel yeah um anyway so back to so like he does manage to like send her away which is fine back to Hunt's point of view he is giving Baxian a tour of the Comidium, and they're in the rec room. Like, it's like the tail end of the tour. And he wants to get out of there ASAP to get home to Bryce so that they could have fun, sexy times. Um, and Baxian is, like, asking, he's like, wait, what's that thing? And Hunt is like, what, the TV? And he's like, no, I know what a TV is. That thing under the TV. And it's like a gaming system. And he's like, I don't know what that is. And Hunt remembers that, like, Sandriel hated technology, and, like, he remembers when he moved here and being, like, equally dumbfounded at, like, some of the tech, especially the stuff designed just for fun. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wish that it 
created like a sense of like empathy for Baxian from yeah. Hunt, but it it really doesn't. Well, he just wants to get his dick wet. Fucking hate that saying. I just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But literally, and you're like, as the reader, you're like, dip it in water. <laughs> Yes. No. As the reader, you're like, oh, I feel so bad for Baxian. I like want to know more about him. And like, I don't know. I'm like, Hunt, stop being a dick. Yes. Uh, anyway, so they hear Pollux then in the hall. So he, Pollux is getting Vic's old room. And Baxian is getting Justinian's old room. And like, Hunt and Naomi and Isaiah all sort of hate that they're getting those rooms and it feels like they're like defiling those rooms and it sort of makes hunt remember the cost of rebelling and reminds him again that he wants to stay Mm -hmm. out of it and a part of him actually wants to tell isaiah and naomi about the rebels so that they can get recognition for catching them like tell the like they want to tell like oh cormac's a rebel here's my proof therian's rebelling like sort of here's my proof and that and he actually thinks that like that would go a long way to getting isaiah his freedom like it's so it's such a shitty thought to have but (sighs) therian i guess is kind of rebelling but he's also doing what his queen wants him to do which like if he actually did tell them that and then the asteri like, got Therian or whatever, eventually the River Queen would be fucked. So, like, there's so yes. much more to this than just, oh, we'll get the rep. You know what I mean? Like, it would be such a bigger deal. Like, I guess they'd have to get a new River Queen, basically, because she'd end up probably being killed by the Asteri for trying to work against yeah. them. Yeah. Um. Anyway, like, yeah, so... Hunt has this thought, like, maybe we should, like, maybe if I told them, then we could, like, tell, um, Celestina about it and, like, you know, get recognition for catching rebels and, like, get on the Asteri's good side. But obviously he doesn't, and he just leaves. Like, he finishes up the tour and just goes. So, skip to now, uh, Bryce and Hunt are in bed together, um, but like no sexy times they're uh talking about the papers that she found in the coffee table and bryce has sort of she's pretty much decided to help like she wants to help emil and she wants to find out more about danica even though i feel like that's a stupid reason but it, it, it's yeah. her reason but i feel like that's her main reason yeah. is like she wants she wants to know and like you can't really fault her for it because like she was like her life at one point. So I I do understand her being like, I want to know more about this person that I thought I knew everything about, but it's obviously, it's going to break your heart. If when you find out that you didn't know as much as you thought you did. So it's, it's like, you can't, there's no winning. Yeah. Um, anyway, so like, this is the part that I actually really don't like Bryce for at the moment. She, so, she tells Hunt, like, I want to help. But then she tells him that she can't do it without him. Yeah. Which is a, it's not fair to him to say that. It's like a bit pressury. Like, 
I want to help and I can't do it without you, meaning you have to help. Yeah, that's not really fair. No, it's not fair. Especially like, since he's gone through so much already. And, like, And she she's seen his trauma, like, not actually, but, like, she has. Like, she saw uh-huh. his wings get cut off. Yeah. And she was so pissed last book when he did rebel. So, like, now you're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I want us to rebel now. Even though last book when you rebelled, I thought it was the end of the world. Yeah. Anyway, so, like. He's saying, like, I'm terrified something is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. However, I will help. But, like, what what else can he say? Yeah. Now that she's like, I can't do it without you. What else is he going to say to that? Mm, yeah. Sorry, I'm out. Like, obviously not. But he says, like, I will agree to help as long as we have an exit strategy. Like, a way for us to get unentangled from it when we've sort of done what we need to do do they ever get one (laughs) i i feel like i do recall them discussing some form of yes i think okay um so now that that's all settled bryce wants to get busy (laughs) (laughs) but hunt is like "Mm, ethan's in the apartment and he's a werewolf so he has great sense of hearing and a great sense of smell And I know we've talked about the whole smell thing (laughs) numerous times. However, that it's, they, it's, it's just there. Yeah. But Hunt is also a little bit like wary. He's like, it's been a while for me. And Bryce is like worried that when he says a while, she's like, oh my God, he hasn't had sex with like since Shahar, like ages. Or I think Sandriel probably raped him, but like. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh my god, he's gonna say that he hasn't had sex in, like, years and years and years. But then he's like, it's been six whole months. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know, like, that's, I guess that's a long time for a dude, you know. It's not, I don't know. I think I don't think it's that long. No. Anyway, so, like, he sort of is saying, he's like, I actually um, thought it was really funny because... He was like, I just, you know, just want to let you know that it's been a while for me. And she's like, oh, so you're going to be quick. And he was like, no, asshole, I'm going to be loud. And I'm like, that's a thing? Yeah. Like, will you, if you haven't had sex for a while, you're going to be louder when you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And also, like, I don't know. I don't think they had to do this because, like, the amount of time doesn't matter. He, like, is in love with her that makes it different enough than like the random people he's had sex with in between so i don't know why they had to be like it's been six whole months yeah so but well so that's the thing so like he says you know it's been six months for me and then he tells her it was like a a nymph who didn't know who i was yeah because he was a scary man before he met bryce right not man, and then, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And then she was like, yeah, it's been a while for me too since the last, like, she had sex in the last book with a lion shifter in a bar, like. Yeah. And he was like, oh. And they're both, like, really jealous that it has, like, 
I don't know what they're expecting from each other. Like, they're both jealous that it's been not that long for, you know what I mean? Like. I know, but hers was before she even met him. Yes. But so was his. Yeah, I guess. I don't really, I can't think of the timeline. But, like, I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I guess it's just to show how much they want each other. But yeah. I, yeah. So, like, it's, it's, they've known each other for, like, five months. Mm-hmm. So it's been about True. that, like, again, she had sex with the line shifter right before meeting him, I think. Or, like, maybe yeah. even in the days that she first met him, maybe. So, like, around five months for her, six months for him. So, like, I think yeah. they're just both like, oh, you, you've you had sex in the recent past with someone not me. So they're both jealous. Yeah. So... He's like says the whole thing about like you know I might be loud because it has it's been a while and I'm like <laughs> that that's makes weird sense. sure it does so she's like well how about I test the theory and gets all like sexy with him and she crawls on top of him and gives him a BJ and of course he's absolutely huge <laughs> like she explains it as she can't even wrap her hand all the way around his penis that's how thick it is so like just like that is. Too big is what that is. That is too big. It reminds me of this movie, and it's <laughs> sorry. You're just like, you sure it wasn't porn? <laughs> 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 sorry, continue. It's called the sweetest thing. It has Cameron oh, yeah. Diaz in it, and Selma Blair, and uh, Christina <laughs> Applegate, and it's the weirdest movie. But they sing a song in a restaurant, and it's, you're too big to fit in here, too big to fit in here, too big to fit in here. Uh, uh, uh. And, like, they keep, like, putting their hands where it's too big to fit. So, like, they put a hand over their mouth and put a hand over their vagine and then put a hand over their bum. So, like, it was (laughs) a really odd move. Like, it was good. I recommend it. But it was just, like, a really, it just, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. That song. (laughs) fair uh anyway so like of course she like gives him an awesome bj and like it literally takes him like a minute (laughs) and he like comes and she swallows it all down Mm -hmm. and like then ethan just yells at them to have sex louder next time (laughs) i fucking hate it i found it actually quite funny why did you hate it i cut i just the whole sit like hearing people thing and the smell thing. I'm like, couldn't he knowing that they're having sex because he can tell because he can hear and smell it? Wouldn't you just walk out for a few minutes? But I guess he's already in bed getting ready to go to sleep. I just I don't I don't like it. It's not his house. Just go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I it was a funny moment, but I agree with you. Like he even hearing it like knowing he's staying as a guest like just ignore it like just let them do it yeah you know what i mean i was also just like yeah it is their house if they want to have sex let them have sex like you as the guest needs to shut the fuck up yeah i also really like that this sort of shoves in his face like because remember last week he um he sort of not threatened hunt but he was like Dude, it took five years for Connor to get her to agree to a date. Like, you guys have been together for five months, so, like, what do you think that's going to say? 
And yeah. I sort of like that he knows that they're having sex already because it sort of is like, see, like maybe it took Connor five years. It didn't take Hunt that long. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Bryce like promises uh, Hunt that they'll go to a sleazy motel tomorrow to have some privacy. And she promptly rolls over and goes to sleep. And I'm like, what about her? Yeah. Like, I know blue balls isn't a thing for women physically, but, like, blue ovaries. Yeah. I kind of love it, though. I just find it funny. Like, I, like, I know he would have reciprocated. Mm -hmm. She was just like, no, I'm done. Okay, good night. Well, she was also like, "Mm, Ethan's here. And I agree. Like, I don't mind him hearing hunt come but him hearing bryce come especially with what we find out later i'm like it makes me feel icky Mm, yeah (laughs) um anyway so she goes to sleep hunt goes to sleep and he wakes up quote unquote sort of in a dream like he thinks he's dreaming but it's like he's in a Mm -hmm. black room and i think he's like tied up and he can't see anything but then someone talks to him and he's like, who is that? And it turns out it's Apollyon, who is the prince of the pit. One of the seven princes of hell? Yes. Yeah, there is seven. Because there's seven. there were seven Asteri, there were seven princes of hell, and everything's a seven. Yeah. So it's not a dream. He is like, come into Hunt's mind to have a conversation with him. And essentially, he just wanted to meet Hunt and, like, assess his progress, where he was with his powers. And Mm -hmm. he starts, like, sort of like, oh, you need to train your powers, blah, blah, blah. And Hunt's like, dude, Adis already, like, gave us this spiel earlier. Like, we don't need it from you, too. But Apollyon is like, I have nothing to do with Adis. Like, I don't know what Adis has told you. I don't know about, I'm not privy to those conversations. Like, he just tells Hunt, like, you're wasting the gifts that were given to you. And he's like, I want you and Bryce to train, to train because I can sense there's another war coming. But like, Hunt's like, mm-hmm. dude, I'm not interested. And Apollyon leaves. A part of me actually thinks that Apollyon is Hunt's dad. That is yeah. a theory that I have. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's my theory. That's fair. Because he was brought up by Adis and Jessica in the first book. So it would make sense that Adis knows. Yeah. Him. And I just, like, we, I don't think we, we don't find out in this book who Hunt's dad is. But this my theory. Mm-hmm. Apollyon does come visit a couple of more times, which is why I feel like it's happening. And, like, yeah. how else does he know about Hunt's powers? I'm just True. saying. Anyway. So, Hunt, like, is like, dude, spare me the lecture. I don't want to deal with you. Just, like, leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and Apollyon's like, okay, dude, whatever. And, like, leaves. And Hunt, obviously, is then, like, awake. He wakes up. And he's freaking out a little bit. Because he's like, shit, like, Apollyon just visited me in my sleep. Like, he could have hurt Bryce. He could have gone into Bryce's mind. Like, blah, blah, blah. Um, But, like, he sees that she is sleeping safely next to her. Like, she she's safe. So, yeah. she just, like, he just cuddles in. And I assume he goes back to sleep, but it doesn't actually say it. It just says, like, he cuddles it. Yeah. So we go over to Rune's point of view now, and he's with Finn and Declan, and he's getting ready to try to contact Agent Daybright. Um, so he uses his mind powers to, like, extend a bridge 
through the crystal that he's holding, hoping that that will, like, get him to the agent's mind. Because he's obviously never done something like this before. Normally he just talks into somebody's head who's near him or who he's talked to before, kind of thing, I think. Um, It ends up working, which is good. And a female voice answers him, and she is cloaked in flame. And they exchange their code phrase, which is about cats and dogs. I don't know if it's important, but it's kind of funny that it's yeah. like cats and dogs. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, and Rune doesn't actually have an agent name, name yeah. because he didn't, yeah, he didn't really think about it and he didn't think he'd get this far. Uh, so that obviously makes her realize that he's like a novice. Um, and then he's like, oh shit, she's disguising herself with flame, like... She can probably see who I am in this bridge thing. But he looks down and his body is covered in night stars, galaxies, and planets. So that's cool. And the fan art for them, for this stuff, is so cool. Is it? I love it so much. I wonder, like, how he did that. Like, how was his body autumn? Or, like, do you think maybe she did it? I think it was just, like, what? Maybe that's what he always looks like. I just, I think it was more subconscious. I don't think he, like, thought of it. But, like, his power is shadows, too. And he's got the star sword, so he's got, like, shadows and stars. So, like, it kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I'm looking at it, and it is nice. The <laughs> I know, it's so pretty. I love it. Um, they're, like, my favorite part of this book. So I'm happy that we're finally getting this started. Um. So he thinks her voice is beautiful, and it makes his face soul perk up. Can I just say, like, I don't understand why everyone is stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> how does he not realize what this means? Yeah. Yep. Completely Ugh. agree. So dumb. But anyway, um, he tells her he was just testing the connection and making sure that, like, he can contact her if something happens and he asks if she has anything to say to agent Silverbow, and she tells him to tell his commander that safe passage is granted uh, under the cover of the waning moon and obviously he doesn't know what that means and she's like yep that's why i said it like that <laughs> and she says that she prefers this kind of communication and then she leaves so that's our first taste of them yeah um, Cormac comes by later and Rune tells him what Agent Daybright said. Um, oh, also, she ends up naming him because while they're having that conversation, she says that he's going to be Agent Knight because he's obviously looks like yeah. stars and night. It's a whatever. bit of a... And it's like cats and dogs. It's like night yeah. and day. It's like they've got this, like, yes, yeah. thing. Opposites, like um, an opposites attract sort of a thing. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, so Cormac comes by, and he tells him what she said, and he has to say that, like, she said nothing about Sophie or the suits. So, like, he didn't even really think to ask her, because he was just so enamored by her. Mm. Um, Then Cormac tells him he'll be in touch when he has something to pass along. He has also been, Cormac has been searching for a meal and he's been talking to the Reapers and hanging by the black docks, which is like not something people do. Like when Reapers come, everybody runs type of thing. So you're like, interesting. Um, 
Then we jump over to Hunt's point of view, and he is on the way to Celestina's study, and he's walking with Isaiah, and while he's walking, he thinks about telling Isaiah about the rebel oh stuff. God. It's just, like, a constant in his mind of him thinking about, like, telling on them, which is just, like, so interesting. But, like, I sort of get it, because apart from Bryce, he has very little to no loyalty to Ethan, to Therian, to Cormac. Like, he doesn't like any of them, really. Yeah. But, like, Isaiah has been his friend and his commander for years and years and years and years. So, like, mm-hmm. obviously, if you have a way to help your friend escape slavery, you're gonna think about using it. Yeah, for sure. It's just kind of like, I don't know. And I know he doesn't know how deep Rune's in it now. Because, like, obviously, if Rune were tangled up in this, Bryce would be so upset. So, like, it's getting to the point now where he can't, but he doesn't know that yet. But it's just like... It's constantly on his mind to tell somebody, which I guess is interesting. Um, but he gets to the study and Naomi, Pollux, and Bas- Baxian are already there with Celestina. And she asks Pollux what happened. And he says he was having fun at a tavern and the female wanted it and was all over oh, him. Oh, dear and they God. Went... Yeah. They went to an alley and Baxian ended up fighting him. And Baxian then tells them all that, like, she said no at least ten times. And Pollux is like, yeah, but that's just because she was, like, playing or whatever, you know, like, ugh. Yeah. But Baxian ended up fighting Pollux because he wouldn't leave her alone. And somebody filmed the fight. So now that's online and it's on the news. And the female didn't want to press charges. And Celestina says... She wants to change the fear that people have of coming forward in this type of situation, mm-hmm. which is the thing we have in our world, world too, obviously. Yeah. But, like, I guess the dynamics here are very much, like, he is an angel. He's part of, like, Thertriari or whatever. Like, there's so much power dynamic yeah. here as well. He holds... Which is obviously... Yeah, he holds a prominent, like, political position, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah, so Celestina almost wants her to come forward, but then is also doesn't really want this to reflect on her type of thing. So it's like, she's trying to be a good person. It seems like in her heart she might be good, but she doesn't really have a choice. Um, she says she actually received a call and she has to give Pollux a second chance so she's also going to give uh, Baxian a second chance. And you're like, good. He's the one that, like, Why would stopped. she have to give him a second chance? What did he, like, he protected the citizen of the town, which is, like, is that not their job? Yeah, but it's a scandal, I guess. But anyway, so she's giving them both a second chance, which is, like, cool, I guess. But it's a, just another situation of, like, Baxian's probably a yeah. good guy. Um. But then she also tells them that the Asteri are giving her a gift and everybody knows, like, it's just a distraction to, like, get people's minds off of this fight or anything else. Yeah. Like, she's going to mate Ephraim and basically they say, like, they need more archangels. Two died, so they need to make a baby. Um, 
So they're going to have a mating ceremony on the autumnal equinox, which is Death's Day. And Hunt kind of thinks about it, and it sounds a lot like Halloween. People, like, dress up and yeah. all that stuff. Um, Hunt is kind of annoyed that the Asteri can control everything to, like, this extent. Small, yeah. Like, her body isn't even her own. Like, she doesn't get a choice. And she's one of the higher-ups, and she doesn't even get a choice in what she can do with her own body. So it's like, I don't want to say it's an exact equaling to our world and how much rights women have over their bodies, yeah. but it kind of is. Yeah, like, well, especially everything that's going on right now with, like, um, with the whole, like, abortion laws being... Um, you know, revoked in certain places, um, and not e- even not existing in certain places. Like there are really strict laws mm-hmm. against it in certain countries. All that. So, like, that is just it is reflecting on that. Like, she doesn't have the choice to. Like now in our society, we have a choice of who we marry or not. But like, she doesn't have the choice. Like, they're like, you're going to marry this guy or mate this guy, and then you guys yeah. are going to make babies, and you don't have a say in it. And it's sort of like that, you know, in certain places now, it's like, if you get pregnant, you don't have a choice in what happens to your body. You have to carry this child, regardless of whether you want it or not. So it is it is an interesting social commentary there. It is, yeah. And, yeah, it's just... A whole thing. <laughs> um, so after she tells them all this, she asks Hunt to stay behind because she wants to talk to him for a bit. And she ask- she actually asks him about Bryce's engagement to Cormac. Um, since, like, as a prominent couple, like, she is a princess and he, I guess, is a prince of the Avalon Fae. Yeah. Like, they're a big deal, so they will have to go to the mating ceremony together. Yeah. Um, so she's like, that's going to be weird, since you're super in love with her. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he just tells her, like, it's an arranged marriage, like, it is what it is, kind of thing. And she asks how he's feeling, and he can tell that, like, she's empathetic, and she tells him that she and Shahar were actually friends. And she admits that she wanted to kill Sandriel multiple times. And she would have helped him in the years since Shahar died. Oh. Um, if she could. She also tried to buy Hunt three times, but the Asteri refused her. So this is something that Hunt didn't know at all. And yeah. it's super interesting. Like, his life could have been completely different if she had bought his indenture instead of like letting shahar keep him not sandriel yeah sorry um he then (laughs) thinks about telling her about ophium because he thinks about telling everybody all the time um but he doesn't and she says she wants them to be friends and he tells her that sandriel's cabal is bad news which is Pollux and um, Baxian, and then the Hind yeah, is going to be fourth, coming. And there's a fourth one, yeah. Somebody else. Don't yeah, remember. because they, I guess they used to be. I think there's a fourth person, but I don't remember and now they split who that them is off. at the moment. So 
there's is it the hammer or is it the hammer pollux yeah they all have nicknames and i can't no i backseen is the hell it's a hellhound is it the hammer was backseen is the hellhound pollux is the hammer um the hind and then there's one more with an h that also now works for ephraim herpy Harpy, right. I forget who that is, though. But anyway, Me too. there's, yeah. So he's like, they're all bad news. And they're all going to be there for the ceremony. So he basically says he'll help in whatever way he can um, to keep everything fine for the ceremony. Uh, he also tells her not to be sorry that he couldn't, that she couldn't help him during those years. Because if anything had been different, he wouldn't end up where he was now and he wouldn't have met Bryce. And you're like, that was years of torture. I get. (laughs) But like, (laughs) that is. Like, dude, come on. Yeah. Your life could have gone in a different direction that still brought you here. I understand, like, you can't change things. So I I get it in that kind of way. But I'm like, you could have still ended up here without all of the bullshit, too. Um, Anyway, so Hunt leaves and Baxian is waiting for him. And he, Baxian tells him, like, this is a new city with new rules, so he hasn't—he doesn't have to pretend with Pollux anymore. Like, he also tells him that he's not trying to fuck Hunt over. Um, and Hunt kind of asks, like, what happened between them? Or, like, why Baxian is like this? But Baxian is just like, you're not telling me your secrets, so why would I tell you mine? Yeah. And I completely agree with that. But, like, yes, I'm like... Hunt, Hunt, open your fucking eyes. Clearly he's not the bad guy here. Like, give him a tiny bit of slack until he fucks up again. But, like, just give him a minute. Yeah. Um, we go to Ethan's point of view now. And he's with Therian. And there's a dead body. So he's sniffing it out. Kind of like Therian asked him before. Um, it's a seal shifter. And it was hit with a Gorsian bullet. And then tortured and executed. And Ethan can smell two humans on the body basically a female and a boy and the boy smell is a bit older and they're assuming yeah it's a meal um we go to therian's point of view and they're in his office so that they can talk privately and ethan tells him what he thinks um so he thinks like the selkie helped emil and then was caught by pippa so where they found the body is basically between where the boat is and the city. So it's it's likely that Emil is on his way to the city. The Selkie helped him and then was tortured by Pippa. Um, I think one of my biggest issues with Ethan is that he's he's kind of immature. Yeah. Because he then says that they should go after Pippa. And Therian is like, we can't really do that. But... Ethan responds like his brother could take down Philip Briggs. And you're like, but your brother didn't do that alone. Your brother did it with a full pack of wolves. Like, that's not the same thing. Yeah. And, and like, and like, who the hell is Philip Briggs in comparison? Like, well, that's exactly what Therian says. He's like, Pippa is likely way worse. And Therian doesn't want to get himself killed by going after her. And like, Pippa is just i say in quotation marks a human but it's like she's clearly gonna fuck you up if you go after her like Mm -hmm. look at what she did to this silky anyway 
Um, a female comes in now and tells Therian that the boss wants him and isn't in a mood. And he tells Ethan that he can stay. And then he goes to go see the river queen. And he knows that something is, that like, she's annoyed because it's raining. So that's interesting. Like they can control the weather and shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, we go to Bryce's point of view now and she and Ruin are on their way to train with Cormac. And Bryce's mom calls her and she ignores it, but she says she's going to send a postcard later. And apparently that's the thing that they've always done when they've been in a fight is like, they'll send each other postcards about and talk about completely different things and not about what the fight is about. So that like, eventually they make up. It just seems like they get into a lot of fights, which like, I can't say much about because I fought with my mom a lot, but I'm also like, her mom seems more immature than a normal parent. But did you as an adult? No, not at all. That's when I was a teenager. Like, yes. And like, this is the issue. It's like, Bryce is not a teenager. She's an adult. So like, how yeah. often do you get into fights with your mom as an adult? Never. <laughs> Realistically. Yeah. You just like, you accept I guess, them for who they are and you figure your shit out. Like, yeah, they, I guess they she'd let be, you live their, your life and you let them live theirs. Like, yeah. She'd probably be a bit annoyed if she found out I was engaged to somebody that wasn't Jeff via the news. But I don't think it would start a fight. It would be a, no. like, oh, don't worry about it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Anyway. So that's just a thing. Um, but then Bryce says that she's going to go visit her parents for the winter solstice. And she's going to take Hunt and that Rune can come too if he wants. Um, she then thinks he has, like, a sh very strained relationship with his own mother. And in Bryce's words, she says, like, Ruin's mother is out to lunch. So it kind of makes you wonder if, like, the Autumn King is drugging her or something. Like, we don't really know much about her. I just thought that, like, he has been so, like... Neglectful? Yeah, and maybe even, like, abusive. Like, mm -hmm. maybe not physically, but, like, mentally, verbally yeah. and mentally abusive. That maybe she's just, like completely shut down yeah all of her confidence is gone and she's more about yeah it could be that too yeah um but basically rune takes care of her now because his father doesn't give a shit which is sad um rune agrees to go and he's kind of like hopeful and happy about it which is sweet mm. um he really wants a family that loves him which is sad yeah so he asks her then why she won't use the sword. And she says she has Danica's sword. So there's like no need for her to have that one. And she says there's a reason it came to him first. And she says like she has her star power too. Like she doesn't need the sword with that. Um, but she mentions that there's a prophecy that when the sword and the dagger are reunited, so will the people be or something like that. And she thinks, like, maybe the dagger is meant for her. Right. Which is interesting. Um, she she then it, talks about, like, how... Is it is it bad that when I... You said that, like, when the sword and the dagger are reunited, I'm thinking, shit, if Rune has the sword and she has the dagger, do they have to reunite? Oh, like, no. Yeah. But we, have, we find out at the end of the book who has the dagger. Yes. And I don't think... 
I don't think it's reunited in like a, I think it is what happened at the end of the book. Like, I think that's what it means by reunited the prophecy. I don't think it means like reunited as in like, reunited and it feels so good. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's like they're, they're going to win a war or anything. Like, I don't think it's like they're going to be free. I just think it means like what happens at the end of the book. Right. That is the reunition. Re- right. Re- yeah, whatever that word would be. Anyway, so then she talks about hell. And she says, like, if hell is its own world and they had home worlds as well, then there's, like, a whole other... There's so much other shit going on outside of their world. And, like, do the gods in their old world still, like, have power over them? Or, like, are they their own existence it's like a whole she's having an existential crisis basically um then she says she starts to like say she has a feeling that like there's something more to all of this but then rune is taken by a reaper and dragged down into the sewer yikes which is not great um, so we go to Rune's point of view now, and he is completely, like, blacked out, knocked out, out of it. Um, and Agent Daybright is actually in his head and telling him he's in danger. And she, like, starts to come closer to him to yell at him to wake up and that he has to open his eyes. But he, like, when her fire person in their heads comes closer mm-hmm. to his <laughs> night person, um... He says that he recognizes her voice and her scent. And she's like, that's not possible. But we know what that means. <laughs> it's not a recognition of somebody he actually knows. It's a recognition in his fucking soul. Yeah. Just saying. Um, then we go back to Bryce's point of view. And she's in the sewer now. And she manages to turn like her chest star scar thing on so that she can see um and runes there and there are five reapers and he's like held between two of the reapers Mm -hmm. and they tell her that they bear a message and when she starts to come closer to him or when she reaches for his phone for her phone they like drop him a little more so she knows like if she does anything they don't want her to they're gonna drop him in the sewer water where he drowned because he's basically out cold. So you're like, right. ugh. It's not great. Um, the Reapers tell her that the Prince of the Pit sent them. And they are saying, like, this is kind of what I don't really understand about the whole hell thing. And, like, the, the two princes must want different things. Because Apollyon's message here is he's ready to strike but he insists on facing Bryce at her full power. So she needs to train harder and better so that she can fight against him. Um, They also tell her that Apollyon is searching the bone quarter for the other one who may be his opponent, which I'm assuming is Emil. Mm -hmm. And they then tell her that she sold her soul away in the first book for Danica's safe passage. And when it's her time, they will come to rip it to shreds, which is just like, 
cool. Um, they then say that they might have a taste now and go to move towards her, but she uses her light to send them back and then night power comes in and Cormac appears and then vanishes with a reaper and like takes them one by one basically. Um, but there's five of them, so he can only do one at a time. One at a time. Yeah. And he tells, um, he tells Bryce to use her power and then he reappears like she uses her power on the two reapers holding rune he reappears in time to like catch rune and disappear and then he comes back with the sword and then i guess disappears with another reaper um and then she takes the sword out of the sheath basically and she says it feels right to her um then she ends up wounding one of the reapers and then like actually stabbing it in the heart and it actually bleeds which is odd um the reapers start to yell and Cormac grabs her and then teleports her to the training facility and the sword has slain that which was unkillable so like the sword can kill a reaper which is something that is supposed to be unkillable so that is interesting um Therian's point of view now. <laughs> We're really all over the place. Um, but he's at the River Queen's throne, which is underwater. So he's just like in a current trying to like stay in front of her and figure shit out. Um, but she's pissed that he asked her daughter on a date above because she won't be able to handle being up there, basically. So like she is very sheltered and kept underwater, basically. Yeah. So um, that actually, so that happened during my section when mm-hmm. they were interacting. He was trying to appease her and, like, send her on her way. So he was like, maybe we can go on a double date with Bryce and Hunt. And, like, yeah. equally trying to make Bryce appear unthreatening. So, like, he was like, we can go on a double date. Yeah. So, obviously, the River Queen is super pissed about it. Um he apologizes and then she asks about the boy and he says like he has his people looking into it and she says she wants him before Ophian or the other river courts find him so I don't know if we knew this before now I can't really remember but there are apparently four river courts um the blue court which is this one a black a white and a red river court so there's four of them and they all, I think, have queens who are, like, rivals, it seems like. But I thought they were siblings. I think they're still rivals, though. Okay. Yeah. They're they're all out for their own powers, it seems like. So we kind of heard about this because, like, the River Queen told him to go look for Sophie based on hearing it from the other courts. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is assuming so maybe this is the issue because we don't actually know what she wants but he's assuming that she wants to get a meal to be a weapon against the other river courts so that she can rule all four of them and then he thinks like if a different court were to get a meal and fight against her to take over this court he doesn't think he would actually try to stop them like he'd be fine with her being overthrown Mm -hmm. so that's something that is like a realization to him, which is interesting. Um, she tells him then before he invites her daughter on an above date again, he should see the disrespect they show. And then like an hour later, he's 
picking up trash near the square. So, like, she punishes him for asking her daughter on a date, basically. And in, like, I guess it's an uncontrollable situation with her above. Um, He starts to think of the, like, imbalance of power. Like, his queen is so harsh on her own people. And, like, the Asteri are so harsh on everybody. And he thinks something needs to change. And he's like, maybe not as drastically as, like, Ophian is doing it. But, like, he he doesn't want to live like this anymore. So he's really getting into, I'll say, the rebellion mindset, I think. Um, we go over to Rune's point of view now. And he is in his father's office. And his father is pissed that he interrupted his appointment. But he was literally just having sex with some random. So... Yeah. Fun times. Um, but Rune puts the Star Sword on his father's desk and asks his father about some of the lore behind it. And he says that the sword reacted strangely near the Reapers and they feared it. Um, so the Autumn King tells Rune that it's an ancient sword from another world and it was made from a fallen star. And it exists beyond, like, their planet's laws. So because it was made in a different world, it isn't held to the same laws as this world is. So Mm -hmm. that essentially is why it could kill a reaper. He doesn't tell his father that they did kill a reaper, but, like, it makes sense that it can. Um, The Autumn King asks about Bryce being involved, because I guess he can smell her, and mentions that he's been waiting for her to storm into his office angry about her betrothal. But Rune says, like, she decided that the Autumn King wasn't worth the effort of getting mad at him about it, basically. Which obviously pisses him off. (laughs) Mm. Um, Then the Autumn King says that Rune should keep the sword away from her since she's likely the reason it's acting up because, like, none of this happened before she was around. Mm. Um, but Rune tells him that he actually has offered it to her already and she didn't want it. And the Autumn King tells Rune if he had any sense, he would have killed her when he found out she was Starborn. And like, that's what all the other Starborns did before because they wanted the power themselves. And he, Rune, I mean, the Autumn King calls Rune a second rate prince and Rune basically just says, like, he can't pit them against each other. Like, they, they're tight, for lack yeah. of a better word. Like, they're not, you're not going to get between them. So, I, I like their relationship. Um, it's, it's funny because they were, at the beginning of the last book, they were so, like, they were not tight. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. like that, that they've already, like, they've turned their relationship into, like, a close, you know what I mean? Like, they went yeah. from not talking to having this close brother-sister relationship. Yeah, I completely agree. So, the Autumn King then says that power attracts power, and he kind of admits that he's basically afraid of Bryce and Hunt being together, and he wants to keep the power within the Fey world. Mm-hmm. And that's why he wants Bryce to marry Cormac. Um, Rune says that the Autumn King has too much power. And 
he counters, like, who would police it? He's a king. Obviously, he can do what he wants. And Rune just says, like, he has no interest in being king, and he hopes that the Asteri make his father live forever so he doesn't have to deal with it. Like, he doesn't want to look like a threat to his father, because he's, like, his father would kill him if he was trying yes. to take over. Yeah. Um, then we jump over to Bryce's point of view. She, Hunt, and Cormac are near the Black Docks, and she confronts Cormac about his teleportation. Um, and he tells them that, like, when, when he took the Reapers, he brought them a half mile up into the sky and then just, like, dropped them. So that that's kind of funny. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, Hunt then points to a spot in the distance, and Cormac teleports there. And they ask him how he did it. And he explains that it's like you take a step and it's like two places fold together like paper. And that's how you get from one spot to another. Mm. So if you've read Actar at all, that is exactly how they describe winnowing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely the same power. Um, Bryce tells him to teach her. And he says he will if she's able to do it. And he says like, she should be able to because it is a gift of the Starborn to be able to teleport slash winnow. So that's cool um, that Bryce may be able to learn it. <clears throat> Bryce then says they need to figure out who sent the Reapers because she's not 100% sure it was Apollyon because, like, they don't know. Um, but if it was, she really does need to step up her training because she'll have no chance without learning more so she tells Cormac um that they're going to train tomorrow night and he agrees and then Hunt asks Cormac if he really thinks that he'll find a meal by like just looking around at the docks and then he kind of tells him that they're searching using Declan so they don't even need to be out looking who what is Declan doing did it say I I'm assuming it's like the cameras because there's cameras everywhere running software or something right that's what i'm assuming but we kind of find out a bit later um bryce calls jessica then and asks if she has any death marks and she says she has two and that bryce has to pay this time and bryce just tells her to send the bill to ruin and jessica says she can get them to her tomorrow and death marks i guess get you into without having to die because <laughs> i guess bryce used one last book to make the deal for danica's soul um jessica tells her too that danica isn't there anymore like there's no trace of danica left there all of her power or like soul or being was used up to help bryce make the drop but she tells her or she asks her why danica used to always be poking around the gallery so it's kind of a clue, we'll say. Um, so Bryce tells Hunt that they need information on the Reapers before they meet the Underking. And he kind of asks about Jessica bringing up Danica, and Bryce says they'll need to ask Declan for another favor. Um, we go to Rune's point of view now, and they're all in Bryce's apartment, and Declan and Ethan, with Declan's help, are on computers doing, like, they're both looking through videos. So they're both doing two different things. Um, Using Declan's software, Ethan is looking to see if they, 
looking for video of the Reapers that attacked Bryce and Roan. And Declan is looking through all of the footage of Jessica's gallery. And every time that... <clears throat> sorry, that um, Danica showed up there. So... A lot is happening. Yes. <laughs> A lot is happening. And like... We haven't really gotten back to the papers yet either. Like, there's so much going on in this book. Um, so they chat about Jespa and how, like, she's only telling them about this now, about Danica, like, looking through things in the gallery. And, like, why didn't she bring it up before? And Rune then asks Bryce, like, what's up in her mind? And she says she doesn't know how much more of Danica's secrets she can take. And it feels like she never really knew her. And he just says, like, they'll figure it out together type of thing, which is sweet. But, like, it's so true. Like, But, like, if she feels that way, stop looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Um, so Ethan gets the footage from the black dock and there are no reapers docked today the day that they were attacked or last night and the morning before two came over but when they look at them they don't recognize them as part of the attack um there's no sign of a meal there in the last two days either um ethan then finds a reaper nearby that just kind of looks like it appeared out of nowhere and they recognize him as one of the ones that was part of the attack. And there's a sewer nearby. So they think he likely came from there and that he brought them into the sewer as well because there are no cameras there. So like these reapers are avoiding cameras. So that's interesting. Um, while all of this is happening, there's a sunball game on. And we get like, Ethan used to be so good. Why did he stop? Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then Rude tells him that yeah. he can join and play with the auxiliary sometime. And you're like, cool. And they're also talking about- He like, has, but like, it's been brought up a couple of times. Like, oh, you used to play some ball. And he's like, it's just a stupid game. And like, I'm not doing that anymore. I won't play anymore. So like, it's sort of like, we understand that Ethan has issues with some ball right now. Mm -hmm. And- I feel like people are just, I don't know if people are like glossing over it, but it's like no one wants to address it with him. Yeah. Or like maybe he doesn't want to tell anybody. I don't know. Yeah. And they're all like random people are asking him about it too. And it's like, he's, he's dealing with his own shit. Like his brother had died. It's not, un, it's not weird for somebody to like stop caring about certain things when they lose somebody. Like it's reasonable really. Um, but he, but they're also like watching the game and he comments on how like he knows what's going to happen in the game because he's played against some of the players and like he knows yeah. a lot. He's very smart about Sunball, obviously. He was very good. Um, then Bryce says she's going to the gym and like goes to get dressed and Hunt looks between her and the game and decides to follow her. And once he's gone, Ethan just says out loud to everybody that Connor would have chosen the game. And you're like, this is weird. Like, why are we pitting them against each other? Like, it's... But it's also weird because, like, if Connor thought she was his mate, mm -hmm. 
like I, from what I we understand about mates in the war in like, as SJM calls them mates, mm-hmm. like they would all the mates would pick to be with their mate instead of sitting and watching the game. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, like even once they were established as mates, like can you imagine like in Throne of Glass the couple there, like her going to the gym and or like going out somewhere and him being like no i think i'll stay here 100 percent, he would follow her same with akatar with like farah and reese if she was like if he had the time if they both had time and she's like mm, i'm gonna go do this yeah he would 100 percent go with her but i also i don't i don't think it's the end of the world to not i'm like a random night when you're, like you're in the room with a bunch of people if like jeff had it's her apartment. If, like, we had people over here and I was like, I'm going to go work out. And Jeff was like, I'd rather just watch the game with the guys that are here. Like, I wouldn't be like, how dare you not come with me? No. It's just. God, no. I, don't, I just don't know why we're like, oh, Connor's not as good of a guy because he would have chose to watch something he's very interested in instead of going to the gym I guess the difference is, like, Bryce is clearly upset, and that's that's the difference. But it just... <sighs> Even Rune says he didn't realize it was a competition. And that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, why are we making Connor, who is dead, seem like he's not as good of a person as Hunt? I feel like it's important for Ethan. Well... So the next part, too, is Rune then asks Ethan what he would pick, and he says Bryce. And I hate it. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, but, like, but, I again, like, I feel like that's why it's an important distinction to make, is, like, either A, he doesn't know his brother as well as he thinks he does, mm. or B, that, like, that <sighs> Hunt is good for her yeah like hunt is deserving of her and i think it's i think he is starting to realize that and that's like the what he really means by it i just i i don't love this whole pitting people against each other especially when one of them is dead is dead and no longer in contention anyway yeah i just don't think it's necessary and i get like part of the point is to be like Ethan cares more about her than Cormac did, not Cormac, than Connor did. And you're like, did he though? Because he had, he had years where he could have cared about her and he was a complete dick. So like, I, I just think it's dumb. Yeah. Anyway, um, we kind of, I think we go to Bryce's point of view now and she's waiting outside of the elevator for Hunt and tells him that they have a kid to find. Like they're not going to the gym after all. So they go to the meat market um, and Bryce says, like, the email said that uh, Emil could hide out where the wary souls find relief. So she thinks that that could also mean the meat market. It doesn't just have to mean the bone quarters. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a good point, I guess. Uh, they end up meeting up with... Fury and Juniper, and they split up and search through the stalls in, like, four different directions. And 30 minutes later, Hunt and Juniper meet up. And Juniper tells Hunt that he should talk to Celestina about this place. And not even just the fighting pits, but the other horrors here, too. 
Um, and he says he doesn't really think that Celestina will do anything about it because, like, nobody else did, so why would she? Um, but Juniper says that someone should do something about it. And then mm-hmm. Fury shows up, and then Bryce shows up, and she's like, has a bag of bones for Syrinx, and is like, she was just shopping, having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, they start to leave and Hunt kind of sticks back so that he can ask Fury why Juniper hates it here so much. And Fury tells him that her brother was actually a fighter and he became addicted to the um, Viper Queen's venom, which is common of the people here. And his family tried everything to get him out, but he ended up dying in a fight. And Fury says that one day, she's going to burn the meat market to the ground for Juniper. Aww. Just sweet. Arson. <laughs> so sweet. So sweet. Um, we go to Bryce's point of view now, and she's doing a plank, and she's trying to do, like, five minutes, which sounds awful. That sounds terrible. Yeah. And, like, she says when she was a human, before she made the drop, she would do, like, one minute, but now that she's, like, done the drop, she should be able to do more. Um, but time is going slow, like it does when you're doing a plank. And she kind of thinks of, like, once she has her magic under control, she won't really need to worry about being so fit as a person, because she'll be able to, like, sit in a chair and attack someone, basically. And you're like, "Mm, probably not. There's probably, you need both, I think. (laughs) Yeah. You should probably, if you're thinking about fighting people, you should probably still, like, work out. Be able to run away. Yeah. Um, We kind of get a bit about what happened when she said she wanted to go to the gym. She thinks, like, it was really hard to look at the images of Danica on Declan's laptop while she was at the gallery. So, like, she didn't want to stay there anymore. Um, And she told them she was going to the gym, so that's why they're actually there now. Um, She collapses from her plank, and Hunt comes over and kind of, like, hits her with his foot to make sure she's still alive and he helps her up and then she just like watches him for a bit go work out and she is loving it and she specifically thinks of blowing him last night and how she almost came when he came on her tongue oh for the love of god ugh yeah ugh Uh, she doesn't want to do a plank anymore, so she goes to get some water and an apple, and she looks back to, like, see Hunt, and she can't see or feel him anymore, but then he's right behind her, and he grabs her waist, and, like, it shocks her, obviously, and he tells her he wanted to see if he could dim his power before they go to meet the Underking, so he wanted to make sure he could still, like, be a sneaky little bastard. (laughs) Yes. Which is fair. Um, she basically, like, hits him in the chest and then talks about how muscular he is. And he, like, takes one of her headphones and he complains about her loud, sappy music. And he tells her that he's actually listening to a book instead of listening to music, which is super hot. Big fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then she puts on a different song and it's like, a song that played at the club. So like he asks if she's trying to seduce him and she instantaneously gets super wet at him insinuating that. And he like 
crowds her to the counter that's behind her and steals her apple. And she says that, like, this is less private than her bedroom. And then his lightning goes around and she knows that it's, like, turning off all of the cameras. (laughs) And he kisses her. And then their clothes starts to come off. Like, his shirt comes off and then hers and then her pants. And he, like... We do get some enthusiastic consent. She is like, yes, please. I want this. Yeah. yeah which I'm yeah, a big yeah, fan yeah. of. Um, and she does think of how sweaty she is, which I, I just yeah, don't true. really need in this scene. I know, but it's accurate, though. It, oh, it's for sure accurate. I don't, I don't know. You just don't necessarily need accurate. Yeah. <laughs> And in a scene, in like earlier when she was doing her plank, she thought about how like sweaty her sports bra was. I'm like, I don't know. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he kisses her foot then and then kisses her knee yeah. and then he takes off her thong and he like spreads out his wings to block the view because there's like so many windows behind them and you're like why are we doing this here what is happening um is it is the gym is in the building right yeah um yeah so he like spreads her out on the counter and puts her feet on the counter so she's like wide open in front of him and yikes (laughs) yeah And he uses his finger and then his tongue and she's loving it. And she's about to come when she just blurts out, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, fuck. And she immediately regrets it. And she thinks like she's never said it to a male before. And she's known it about Hunt for a while. um, But like she feels a bit like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have just said it. Yeah. But it does, like, it, like, ignites him and he goes harder. And then he zaps her clit with his lightning. (laughs) 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 And she, she comes insanely, of course. And, like, she starts flaring with her light. And, like, when she comes down, he says he loves her, too. So... I guess she doesn't have to feel so bad about saying it. But, yeah. Do we want to talk about the lightning on the clit thing? <laughs> like, I don't. I think this is a very, like, I, a lot of people talk about this. Yeah. I don't, I don't, but. I don't. I guess, like, you'd have to feel it to know. Like, I don't know what yeah. else to say about it. Like, I mean, like, she obviously enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, I don't, he wouldn't do it as a, to hurt her. No, exactly. And it, like, it, it wasn't to hurt her at all. It was, like, a stimulation thing. Yeah. So? So, yeah, like, I don't hate it. Good times. I, I can't imagine what it would feel like, and then, like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it would hurt. I feel like there's no way it wouldn't hurt. But I guess he can control his power well, which is yes. good. <laughs> um... We go to Hunt's point of view now, and he's thinking about how the last person to tell him that they loved him was his mother shortly before she died. So, like, nobody has said it to him in hundreds of years, I assume. Hmm. 
Which is super sad. It's so sad. Um, so, like, Shahar never? No. Shahar never said it to him, but he did say it to her. So, like, that is shitty, too. Sketch. Yeah. So, him and Bryce shower, brush their teeth, and, like, go to bed. And the boys are still in the other room just watching, like, the Sunball recap or whatever. Um, and Hunt and Bryce just kind of, like, are staring at each other in bed. And he tells her that she said I love you under... <laughs> so, like, he's kind of giving her an out if she wants it. Um, she says he is good, and she says the lightning thing especially. And she asks him if he just reciprocated, like, the I love you. Um, but he says no... And she tells him that she's never told anyone before. Um, and he tells her, like, he's been in love with her for a while. And he knew it when in the last book, when he was captured by Sandriel after the failed drug buying situation, Sandriel, like, played a slideshow of all the pictures on his phone. And he knew at that point that they were in love. Like, the way she looked at him, the way he looked Aww. at her in those pictures... Yeah. Um, they kind of joke around about it, but he asks what next? And she says sex. <laughs> and he says fuck yes, but without an audience. And obviously they debate their hotel room again. Um, and he like touches her under her shirt, but like they're not, they're not really going there. But she asks what she calls him now. She's like, are we dating? Are you my boyfriend? And he offers up, like, partner or lover. And then he says, mate. And she tells him, like, mates are a big deal for Faye. Um, and he asks if they aren't, like, if they themselves together aren't a big deal. And she tells him he means everything to her. But if they use mates, they will essentially be married. It's like a forever thing. And, like... She tells him it can be a biological thing, like your sense and souls could be bound. And he asks if it can be between species, because that's a question we all have. Um, uh -huh. But she doesn't really know. Like the way that Faye are mates obviously has been different in the books. Like it's, it's completely a biological thing. They might not even be good for each other in some cases. Like we've seen mates that weren't healthy together. Yes. So yeah. we don't know if you can have that same, and this is the issue with this mating, is like we don't know for sure that it can go across species to be the same, like. Yeah. And like, from everything that we've read about the mate bond is it is like you said biological so the fact that they're having a discussion about whether they should use the term mates without having that biological component i think that's why people are like well they're obviously not mates if they were mates they would know and the fact that they're like discussing using mm -hmm. the word without having the feelings like without having that intrinsic biological component obviously means they aren't like you can't just you can't just say hey want to yeah. be mates and and it be like sure like it needs it requires that biological like connection yeah. so like the fact that they're like talking about it like should should we call each other our the yeah. mates like well no you shouldn't unless you are like it's not something you can just yeah. decide 
And I think that's why people are that I think that's why people are like annoyed about their their relationship. Mm-hmm. And this conversation has a big is a big part of it. It's just the fact that they're discussing casually whether they should call each other mates when you don't call each other mates. You just Yeah, are. in the Fey world that's true. Cuz now he says yes. for angels they call each other mate too, but it's just what you call your husband or wife. It's not actually biological. Yeah. It's not so like yeah. That's why like they they are mates because they decided they are in his, and because he's an angel, yes. she is his mate. But what does that mean in the Fey world? Like, are they mates with a capital M? Like, that's where the discussion comes in. I think. Um, yeah. She she tells him she doesn't want to him to agree to it without understanding. But he kind of thinks, like, maybe they were fated. Like, maybe they are mates with the capital M. Because, like, of how they feel around each other. Like, they can kind of sense each other. Like, there is some biological component to it that could indicate that they are mates. Um, he asks her if it scares her. But she says he's the one who's been defined by titles his whole life. And she doesn't want to give him another one unless he's cool with it. And, like, mates for Faye means forever. So, like, he needs to be good with it. And he tells her of all the names he's been given, it will be the one he truly cherishes. Which is... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her light then shines for him and he calls her mate. And says, no sex tonight, but tomorrow they're going to get a hotel room. Which is, like, their catchphrase now. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, they're going to say it every single yeah, day until Tomorrow we'll get a hotel room. When are you going to get a hotel room? Fuck. Yeah. Tomorrow. And that's, well, that's another thing with, like, ma- other Faye mates that we've seen. Like, them having sex is what kind of makes the mating real. Cements it, yeah. Yeah, it's like cement. So that's why it's another thing of like, cool, they're going to call each other mates, but they need to have sex. And then once they have sex, are they going to, are they going to get more of the biological part of it? Like, it'll be interesting to reread because I don't really remember. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I guess we shall wrap it up for this week. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions for us, please reach out to us by email at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at uh, coffeeandcoread. Uh, and we are coffee.coread on TikTok. So next week, we're going to be reading chapters 28 to 43 of House of Sky and Breath. So make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you get our content. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you on the next page.